You're listening to the Cultural Curriculum Chat, the podcast that specializes in multicultural education and classroom strategies. I'm your host, Jebe Edmonds. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. It's Jebe Edmonds here, founder of the Cultural Curriculum Chat podcast. Today's guest is my first guest. I'm super excited. Her name is Kathleen J. Kirkwood, and she was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Kathleen J. Kirkwood is the author of Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around, the story of an everyday activist and the making of the Martin Luther King holiday. A retired professor, Kathleen focuses on writing for children and volunteering with underprivileged third and fourth grade students in the Nashville area. She has developed several innovative workshops that use trade books to help young people learn about the world beyond their immediate surroundings and to inspire them with a love of reading. Let's take a listen. Today we are here speaking with the Dr. Kathleen J. Kirkwood on her book that she just published a couple months ago. It's brand new. Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around. My Story of of the Making of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, Kathleen, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with me in the audience. And if you're new to my podcast, uh, hello, my name is Jebba Edmonds, CEO and founder of the Cultural Curriculum Chat Podcast. And my biggest mission is to share with you all lots of multicultural educational materials that you can use with your students as well as with your community. So without further ado, I am so excited. We are here with my very first guest, my very first podcast guest. I'm so excited, Kathleen, on our show today. And she's going to tell us more about her story, where she grew up, her inspiration for the book. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for the opportunity. This is my very first podcast. So we're all neophytes uh, in, in this process. So I'm looking forward to the chat as well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, tell us more about your story and, you know, and how you grew up, just to give our audience more of a background. Well, um, my story is that as a child, I lived in what I often describe in the book as in Kathy's world. I grew up poor and I didn't realize I was poor until I was 28 years old. But with that, um, and I guess I didn't realize that I was poor because I was nurtured and loved and protected and just all the wonderful things. And this is why um, I relished in my own personal bubble in Kathy's world. Um, as far as growing up, I have a younger daughter. There were five brothers and sisters. Uh, my mom was a um, registered nurse who's advocated for um, voter registration. My father was a master barber on Beale Street. And uh, before what they, at the time, they called it urban renewal, but you would probably know it as gentrification. And I often tell people when they travel to Memphis and they go, you know, one of the first places they want to go see Beale Street. Well, Beale Street is a tourist attraction. It's nothing like it was when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Uh, At that time, as a youth, Bill Street was just consumed with all kinds of um, African-American 
business entrepreneurs, it was just a whole different kind of world because the world was very segregated at that time. So I grew up, like I say, even though it was during Jim Crow segregation, separate water fountains and all those kinds of things, none of those things were really important to me because, like I said, I was in, in, in my own bubble. I was in Kathy's world and with the love and the overprotection and the nurturing of my parents and my elder sisters, it just wasn't an issue for me. And that really didn't happen until the day Dr. King was assassinated, as I mentioned in the book, when I, I was 17 years old. Yeah. And and how you wrote it in the beginning, your Kathy's world was a wonderful place. You had that community, that extended family. Um, it did remind me of, you know, that extended family culture that I had in Minneapolis with the, the Liberians and the diaspora. It just seemed like the world that your families created for you, although it was segregated, you yes. felt safe, you felt nurtured, you felt, you know, a sense of belonging and being. And what you wrote in the book with your father, with the barbershop, that was the hub. That was where everybody would talk and, you know, talk <laughs> everybody politics. And everybody knew. And, and that, you know, with, like you said, you know, we lose a lot of that. Even today, a lot of people are in their own little space in their own little bubble. Yeah. And and, and and even like when you read the first page, when I got the copy, when you said, you don't know my face or my name, but the day Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed, I became a foot soldier, a doer, a worker, an everyday activist in the civil rights movement. And trust me, Kathy, they're going to know your name in your face. Trust me. <laughs> I hope it's I will talk it. I will talk it. Yes. But I it, that got me before I even opened, you know, you had me right there. And I feel like as an educator, and we can talk more when we converse, but students need to see those real accounts of people in history living and giving that story. So, you know, I feel that when we keep learning about your story, when people have this book, they have that first that first moment of when that tragic day happened and they got to see how you you grieved how your community grieved, how the world was watching Memphis at that time. And I, I think how you crafted it was very well done for young people to understand exactly what was going on. Because as a teacher, we have that small chapter on the civil rights movement. You know, you know that chapter, right? And, and, and kids are constantly asking questions. And if it wasn't for you to have this book, I can use this in my class with firsthand accounts so kids can actually feel that moment, what you are going through by reading your words. And I think that's just so, so beautiful. Well, yeah. if I could just sidebar for a minute. Yesterday, yeah. um, my husband and I, you know, I mentioned about mm -hmm. our literacy program. It's under uh, Better Be LLC, but we are Team Kirkwood Literacy Lab where we bring books yes. to life, but we also are engaged in with um, book club for fifth graders. But yesterday I read um, a book about uh, Cesar Chavez and uh, mm -hmm. that whole activism. And mm -hmm. somewhere along the lines, one of the students had asked um, about the separate water fountains and if we had lived through that. And it was really interesting how captive that they were when Alan, we call him I'm Mama K and Papa K. Papa K, yeah proceeded to tell his experience of going shopping with his mom 
at the time that the store was called Kresge's and you would probably know it as Woolworths. And yes, he yes. saw that it, there was these separate water fountains and he wanted to know if the water was really different for the colors. So he decided to go see if the white water was better than the colored water. And I wish you could have seen the kids' faces. It was like that, that you could have dropped a, a pen and you would have heard it because they, it was just like, I can't believe here is someone who actually has shared, had lived in that situation and what that was really like. And so as he was sharing that and how someone approached him and asked him, boy, what are you doing? And his mom turned around startled like, Alan, what are you doing? Kind of frightened and stuff. But it was really, really uh, interesting to observe the kids as he was sharing that. And it's just just stuff that, you know, it's just really amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and like you said, too, they have no no reference, nothing to say, oh, I've been there, you know, and for Papa K, your Alan to share that. Yeah, I bet we couldn't hear a pin drop. And, you know, what I loved on your website when you wrote, you know, my path to becoming an author was anything but linear. And I feel, you know, when when you wrote that, you what inspired you? Yeah, to write this book. You know, we had that tragic day, you know, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. And I was looking in, I was like, that was 54 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. next week, you know, and, and people think that, oh, it was so long ago, but it wasn't. So, you know, what inspired you to become an author in general and to write this book? As I say, it wasn't linear. A lot of my writing prior to uh, writing picture books in that that vein. Uh, as a college professor, I was writing, but they were scholarly and, you know, academic. And I remember going to a couple workshops for highlights and um, SCBWY, which is Society for Children Book Writers. And some of the teachers, I was telling them, I said, well, you know, I've, I've written and I've published in the scholarly. <laughs> they said, boring. So <laughs> actually what happened um I was doing, I I would consider myself an oral historian because I was telling the story of how Dr. King's Day came to be through various workshops. And one of my um, former church members approached me after one of the workshops and said, you you should write a book. Well, at that time, I had attempted a couple of manuscripts. One was about bullying and it was titled um, Julie can't play and it went nowhere. I tell people all the time it's still sitting up on the shelf upstairs. And then I went from that to um, writing or attempting to write this book about pound cake because I make some really, really delicious pound cakes. Mm. And my daughter, my younger daughter was saying, oh, mommy, sell these pound cakes. And so I decided mm. I was going to write this book about pound cake and I remember being at the library and I was just kind of stuck. I wasn't making any progress. And I called Anna, the one that you just saw my yeah. firstborn. And I said, I'm just, I'm just having some problems with this pound cake. And she, she said, mommy, I don't want to hear another word about pound cake. She said, your money is in, in the book ain't gonna. And the, at the mm-hmm. time I didn't even have a title for it. And then she said, you're going to be really, really upset when someone writes your story before you do, you're going to be mm-hmm. really upset. So even though my former church member had said, you should write the book, I heard her, but I was so engaged with other things that I thought were more important. And Mm -hmm. when Anna just made it very plain and clear to me, that's when I said, okay, I need to put everything down (laughs) and focus on this book. So from that point on, I was just um, 
I became very serious about it. I became very committed, feel that I was uh, destined to write years before I did. So I mm-hmm. wrote grants and everything went well, but I did this after that. And actually, when I moved to Nashville in 2005, I was still looking for um, teaching positions. I had a few, but nothing that was really serious or mm-hmm. what I thought was worthy of my skills and talents. And that's when I realized that everything was kind of put on hold for me until you better write. And that's when I really, really, you know, I got serious about it and uh, got engaged in all the research and all the ups and downs and sideways and (laughs) everything. So this is really how it happened. I I give credit to, I tell Anna's my first editor, but she was the one that really pushed me to to do what I probably should have been doing for some time. And I'm really, really happy that she did because um, the more I look at young people and realize that we have so many, many problems, not only in the United States, but just globally. Mm-hmm. And I feel that when I know young people, uh, we all have gifts and talents and we all, and I feel that we have civic social responsibilities to use those talents to try to create a world that's very different than than it is today, to make it better than than my world in the past, better than the world today. Because I've had students when I was teaching who got really annoyed because I remember this one student had asked me, wasn't the world a better place than it was, you know, 30, probably at that time was probably 30, 35 years ago. And I told her no. And she became very angry with me. And she said, you're a racist, you're dissonant. Because she wanted me to say that the world was better. I wish I could find her today. Because I would Mm -hmm. love to have that conversation today to see what she really thinks about the changes. Yes, as I had mentioned to someone, we can go to any restaurant we want. We can stay at any hotel. But we still have overt, we have covert racism. We have things that are still preventing us. We as a people... Some people, just black people of color, you know, people of color, but also poor people and other individuals from having that wonderful slice of the pie, I would say. A lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah. Um, So just kind of talking more about when you were writing in your book and what I loved how you had was, you know, one, your firsthand accounts, but two, the letter, you know, that you wrote your parents when you wanted to do your first, you know, protest and how you had it, you know, it was crinkled up and I'm like, you've got the letter, you know, like I just, it, it just, how did that feel just writing that and then, you know, giving it to your parents for permission to, you know, go. on this bus you know (laughs) in March I mean it's like man I mean that is like so courageous and you know well I'm gonna tell you save time and effort with our weekly cross-cultural connections newsletter every week you'll learn more timely strategies and resources to help you engage cross-culturally at work and at home Go to jebaedmonds.com forward slash resources forward slash email sign up. That is J-E-B-E-H-E-D-M-U-N-D-S dot com forward slash resources forward slash email sign up. 
I went from, like I said, from being in Kathy's world to becoming a very angry young woman. Mm-hmm. I was angry with anybody and everybody who was white. I didn't want to see, speak, or anything. But what happened is I uh, participated in the marches. I noticed that I was marching side by side with people who didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. So, but what happened, um, I had joined the Freedom Choirs and uh, all those kinds of things. And I had gone to a rally and um, I don't know who it was speaking at the time, but they were saying that, you know, we've got to participate in this march and you've got to come go to Washington, Washington on the Poor People's March. And I'm just, I got to do this. I must do this. My parents kept saying no. And to be honest, <laughs> my boyfriend, <laughs> who is now my husband, um, I, my parents really loved him and I just didn't know what else to do because I was just asking and pleading. They kept saying, no, you can't go. No, you can't go. And I said, Alan, would you please talk to them? I know they are listening to you. <laughs> and so he did. I don't know what he said, but my father finally told me that I could go. He said, but you have got to wear some pants because back then girls didn't wear pants mm-hmm. and you've got to have some money. So that's really how, and I, Writing that letter was the last ditch effort. I am yeah. stunned and shocked, even myself, at that I even found the letter. I just, <laughs> just like, and when I, I said, I can't believe I have this letter. And on top of that, I have um, the in the book is the petition, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the original petition for Dr. King's, you know, the holiday. I'm going to tell you, I contacted uh, the Smithsonian, the Library of Congress. I contacted uh, Emory University, the Rose, I think it's called the Rose Library. I contacted so many places. My sister said she thought she had a copy. She couldn't find hers. I was just really just so frustrated because I knew that I really needed this petition to be in the book. I know they Mm -hmm. do everything online and all of that, but I just wanted that, you know, I wanted kids to be able to see this is the process. This is what we did. And I'm going to tell you, I was, uh, I finally, the Library of Congress, there's another arm. I can't think of the, uh, this other department. They found um, a copy, but the copy that they sent me had signatures and the individuals who had signed it lived in New Jersey. And if last ditch effort, I would have used that. But I'm going to tell you how I found it. I was cleaning the garage with Papa K. And I I had my college trunk. And I looked inside of my college trunk. I had these planners. And inside one of the planners was the original copy of the... I was like, oh, my God. Wow. So I just knew, I, I think that everything about this book, was destined and sanctioned and I just it was just the best it was the best feeling ever (laughs) I mean I have chills like the original petition to make this a holiday is in your college trunk (laughs) it was in in the garage I didn't realize which I didn't mention I had forgotten about all of that kind of environment I didn't put it in the book but I I have that letter where I was sending it out to people as the coordinator for for that trip Wow. So, wow. 
it is amazing. I am just in awe. Like, yeah, just here's a petition that literally has changed millions of lives. But, you know, it's right here. <laughs> right. And I mean, even to think it's like right under your nose. You're looking everywhere, but it's right under right, your nose. Right you know? And yeah. I mean, when you get a chance, take a closer look to see the silhouette. I mean, because they have different ones, but that particular one. I love it because of the story that it's telling within itself. It's, it's yes. really, it's you know, and, and just riveting of the names you have put in that book of the, you know, like you said, like the movers and the shakers, it's not a one person thing. It's a whole collective of people. Absolutely. And, and also how you had to do the work, you and others had to do the work to convince others that it's a good idea. Oh, but it's only on, you know, we can't do a Monday. And how come he can get this day and other people don't get this day? You know, and it was just like the rationale and how you bring that background story of, you know, how to get it on this compromise of making it, you know, the third Monday of the month. It's huge, you know. Well, and, I, you know, what mm-hmm. is really amazing to me is that uh, when I say nameless and faceless katie mm-hmm. hall if i was to mention yes. her name to anybody most people i would say the great majority of the people in you know wouldn't know the name wouldn't recognize the name but she was really a mover a groover she was the mind behind that she was the one that came up with the very ingenious idea since yes. there was so much discord and they kept talking about the money and the this and the that and she was the one that came up with the idea that we could do it and make it a fixed day, make it the third Monday, which would save the government money. And that's what I want people to know as they're reading the book, learn about Katie Hall. Yes, um, yes. You know, and I'll, they don't understand the impactful role of Stevie Wonder. And once again, yes. it wasn't for Stevie. You know, he invested a lot of time, a lot of money to mm-hmm. make all of these things a reality. Yes. And, you know, and I didn't know who Katie Hall was until I read your book, you know. And so to me, it was like, wow, you know, that was an ingenious move of, of like you said, the discord of, oh, we don't, you know, and, and as a black man at this time to be recognized by the, you know, as a federal permanent holiday, yes, that absolutely. was big. It was really big. Um, and, and also Stevie, like when you first met him in the, in the camera, I was just like, I just was like, I I, I couldn't believe, I just was like, wow, I just cannot wait to have this conversation with you. Because, yeah, I could not put this book down when I got the copy you sent. I I mean, my kids are in hockey practice. I'm like, just go, just go. I got to keep reading. I got to keep reading about Catholic. So it's, I feel like I've known you already just by reading this. And and like I said um, to my audience, too, literally get this for your small group. Read it out loud. It doesn't have to be in January. It can be any time of the year because the students need to know the process of even how to make a holiday. You know, it's not right. just something you can, you know, put online now that people can do it, but but to have it federally recognized as a nation, the steps that you have created that you have gone through and you made it in a way for our students, like you said, academia is a whole different, you know, yes. literature. But when you I tip my hat because to me to even get my fifth graders to listen to stand up and you know and to read is a as a challenge of itself. But how you written it in a way that you know young people can understand and go through that process with you i tell you it's amazing oh i I tell you i'm in awe Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, if Stephen Wonder only knew what kind of crush I had on him. <laughs> know, right? It's amazing that even that song, the happy birthday song that all of us, our generation knew, you know, and I remember when I was young, they did a big TV special and that song came on, you know, and it was like, and we do my, my immediate family, we play that song all the time for our birthdays. So it is, it, it, and to see that it was synonymous to Martin Luther King Jr. Absolutely. Day. It, it, that's amazing? Mm-hmm, amazing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing that uh, a lot of, I would say, Black people know it as, you know, the happy birthday. The birthday the that's, that's that. But there are a lot of my, you know, other persuasion colleagues and friends who are not aware, not familiar with the song. And so I really feel that part of that process also is to teach and educate. And so uh, there was this one, I can't think of her name, but this young lady had done an interview. <laughs> so she sent me questions and I sent her these answers. So she sent me a, um, an email that she had done her walk that morning and she was listening to Stevie Wonder bopping up and down. And she said, people were looking at her like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Oh my goodness, it is. It's so, and just how, yeah, but you did meet him again and again, which was awesome. But that first time, yeah, it's just, wow. So what would you like our young readers to know after they read your book or while they're reading your book? Any, any advice you well, want them to know? I want them to, first of all, understand that they have a responsibility to, as I said, to use those gifts and talents, whatever they may be to help to create a different world or a better world because it can only get better. Wow. Thanks again, Kathleen, for an amazing conversation today. If you are interested in purchasing Kathleen's book, Ain't Gonna Let Nobody Turn Me Around, My Story of the Making of Martin Luther King Day by Kathleen J. Kirkwood, illustrated by Steffi Walthall. You can purchase it wherever books are sold. And I will also have in my show notes more information of where you can follow Kathleen J. Kirkwood's story and how she inspires and educates our youth today. Thanks for listening to Cultural Curriculum Chat with Jebba Edmonds. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We will be here same time, same place next week. Take care. Bye-bye.